I fell in love with anything that had to do with inanimate objects coming to life, whether they were movies made in the 50s, you know, doll people and all that kind of stuff, or uh, uh, anything to do with stop motion animation. I mean, I was an insane fan, Ray Harryhausen, the Seventh Boy to Sinbad, Jason and the Argonauts, and somehow the idea of these inanimate objects coming to life and small ones at that because of some of the movies that I, I mean, even the movie like The Fly, I mean, you know, Vincent Price, these are just great films. So somehow it all made sense. Yeah, let me, let me make this movie and we'll call it Ghoulies. And that's when I met John Beekler and uh, John uh, worked for, for Stan. Stan was the one who said, hey, you got to meet uh, Beekler and he can be very helpful. And he's very good and affordable and all the rest of it. Now, I shouldn't forget to say that prior to Ghoulies, as a film goer in the 70s, any movie that had a stop motion animation shot in the trailer in the TV spot, I was there. Just, you know, sign me up. You just give two shots in a trailer. Oh my God, we got to see this movie. Hello, and welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. In the world of horror, there are a handful of great showmen whose influence has had such an impact on genre film that they have changed the way horror films were made. These are people whose innovation, creativity, business acumen, and courage have given us some of the most influential and iconic genre movies of all time. People who see every obstacle as just another opportunity to show that they will not take no for an answer when it comes to getting their vision out into the world. I'm talking about people like Roger Corman, Robert Shea, and Lloyd Kaufman. For myself, and many other fans of the weird and fantastic, there is really one man who reigns supreme. The king of gonzo filmmaking. The legendary Charles Band. And when I say legendary, it's not an exaggeration. Charles Band's insanely prolific output of horror and sci-fi films is beyond comprehension. Many of them made on shoestring budgets, many of them great, most of them weird, all of them, and we're talking nearly 400 films, willed into existence by a man whose infectious positivity and otherworldly talent for creating something that most would think could not be done. Whether through his company Empire Pictures, who made classics like Ghoulies, Robot Jocks, and Trancers, or Full Moon Entertainment, who in the 90s gave us genre classics like the Puppet Master series, Subspecies, Pit in the Pendulum, and Demonic Toys, Charles Band continues to be the ultimate showman to this day. Charles and I talk about his early days on set with his father, Albert Band, how the world of independent genre filmmaking has changed since he began, his love of bringing to life inanimate objects, and what the future holds in store for Full Moon. I adore Charles Band. When I discovered Full Moon in the early 90s, it was a game changer. At the end of every Full Moon movie, there was a making of segment where Charlie would tell you what was going on with Full Moon, and we'd get to see interviews with the filmmakers and on-set footage of the movies being made. This is way before DVD and the idea of special features being a part of your home video experience. Video Zone became my film school and I sometimes wonder if I would have pursued a career in film if it wasn't for Charles Band giving me that window into the process. As always, Charles Band was way ahead of his time. Okay dudes, it's with great pleasure that I present to you the man himself, Charles Band.
Charles. How's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm, I'm great. I'm here in LA. It's, uh, well, it doesn't matter when it is, but it's one o'clock, one o'clock in the, uh, in the <laughs> afternoon. It's four o'clock here. I'm in Toronto. There you go. I've got my, I've got my head of the family mug ready to go here. Okay. I've got, uh, my, uh, similar. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. There we Very go. Nice. This was a gift to me from Brooks Davis. Oh, that's nice. Oh, a, oh, Brooks is right down the hallway. We just, um, after over two years uh, for this pandemic, we all worked from home, and we're now just a few weeks into our new uh, headquarters here on Wilshire Boulevard. So it's nice to be in a nice office and have um, everyone, you know, kind of here as opposed to, uh, yeah. you know, I mean – it worked well enough for a while, but it's good being back uh, with uh, the the full moon dudes. Yeah. Well, did you find when everybody was at home and stuff, did it kind of mess with the flow of like throwing ideas around and stuff? Or did you guys get into a sync okay? We got into it okay, but it, this is better. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. it, it kind of wore itself thin. I mean, we, we were all lucky. We all have homes. We're all here. And, you know, Chris Alexander, big part of the operation. He's in Toronto. And Nikai Nelson, who you know is, does a lot of work for us and uh, operates our lab, she's in Las Vegas. And then you know we have sort of production headquarters in Cleveland. And I'm shooting a picture in Italy. And you know, so we at the end of the day, it's a Zoom, it's a phone call. You know, but being here right. in this office now and having producers and writers come and actually sitting down with people is pretty cool. After two years, I'm not doing that. Well, thank you so much for sure. coming on the show. It's a uh... It means a lot to me. I'm a, a full moon guy through and through. I, I back in the day, like in the late mid to late '90s, I had an unofficial full moon fan site, and at the time, I remember Full Moon's website was sort of like having some trouble. And Bob Langer, who I think oh, that's Bob me, is right? down the hallway. Yeah, he reached out to me and said, "You know, your site is in." better shape than ours right now i'm gonna start sending you materials oh, wow. so you can keep people up to date on on what we're doing so that was uh that was a long time ago but that's when my full-on full moon fandom really well kicked thank in you for, for doing that yeah oh it was it was a lot of fun um and it was a great way to get to to see the newest stuff before everybody else did yeah that was so <laughs> this what mid-90s roughly or yeah probably 96 97 because yeah, that's when you know we were really crazy doing well in the early 90s with when paramount was distributing and then that relationship ended some years into the 90s and then we kind of did what we could do and i started doing these roadshow tours and you know the video business kind of got not so good and then of course that ended with literally the video business dying uh, the direct video business with yeah. blockbuster and hollywood video stores closing and then that began that really kind of bummer few years until you know we were early on in the streaming business but 96 that's still we were still making a few movies whereas now we've got uh, over 20 we're making this year i i think i remember the first thing that bob sent me was hideous to screen before it was it, right. like out on right, all the right. shelves and then he started sending me the action figures and i was posting the original photography yeah, cool. and all this that's stuff cool. yeah it was a blast. It was a lot of fun because in Canada, where I was living at the time, it was harder to get the merch. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't, there wasn't a ton of little like boutique right. movie stores yeah. and stuff out here. So I was just getting it straight from Bob at the time and then putting all this content up well, on the website. Tell Bob, um, thank you, Bob, for doing all that. I, I was not I was <laughs> not aware of it. Nothing's changed. You know, once you kind of 
become part of this full moon family. You just can't leave. I mean, I have people who have been with me 15, 20, 25 years, maybe in the case of Bob. It's, it's like, yeah, you think, yeah. you know, 96 to me doesn't sound that long ago, but we're going on almost 30 years. Wow. Yeah. It was funny. I was, I, I remember a few years ago, we met very briefly at the American film market. I was there with the cinematographer, Dean Cunningham. Oh, sure. I had just direct. Yeah. And I just directed a picture that Dean shot and produced with me. And I said, look, it's Charlie band, but I was too afraid to go. Oh, back stop. To and I'm so easy to talk to. So it's funny. You, you mentioned, uh, well, Cundy and John, because Carpenter was here yesterday. We, um, I guess like you guys, we, I decided it's time because of all the activities and everything we're doing to do um, our podcast, a podcast. So we're doing Charles Band's Full Moon Freak Show podcast. My first guest is uh, John Carpenter. And we talked a lot about, you know, going back to the early 70s. I mean, he and I go back like 47 years, which was really hard to believe. But what I'm doing that's a little different is um, it's sort of a podcast vidcast. As you know, in the early 90s, I invented this video zone, um, you know, video magazine, which no one knew exactly i couldn't even paramount didn't even want to distribute it they said well why how are we going to monetize this thing i said no this is for the fans and at the end of a vhs tape you let people know with some sort of little blurb it's a magazine that will show people how what we're making interviews with directors actors how the special effects are done so begrudgingly they agreed to spend the extra nickel for the extra tape it took on a vhs cassette to add the videos on at the end of one of our movies and then suddenly we really connected with fans and you know we got tons of mail at that time mail and, uh, and then of course eventually with dvds it became sort of a normal thing so this um podcast uh, we're doing will be a podcast you'll get or all you get your podcast and spotify and all the rest of it but there'll be an additional of course we were shooting it with four cameras and there'll be an additional chunk that will be sort of more like a video song where it's stuff we're shooting right now and commercials and you know, let's go to Ted Nicolau in Serbia shooting Subspecies 5. And let's go to Cleveland and check out Billy Butler's latest uh, Baby Oopsie. So it'll be sort of all of that on the on the visual side, which, you know, you can see on our streaming side, on Amazon, on YouTube. But it also will function straight up as a uh, podcast. So I guess I, I joined uh, you guys. Ted Nicolau yeah, was I, I, that's, great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, Ted was great. That was great. We had a that lot of fun. That is great. And we're, he's Serbia, Serbia bound. So, you know, we're... Uh, we were about to shoot um, Subspecies 5 in Croatia. Uh, just, well, you probably heard all this from Ted, just as the pandemic was happening, we were set up. Ted had already been there. Everything was ready to roll. And then, you know, COVID time. So we had to push that back. And now, but yeah. now we actually found, I think, a, a better place in Serbia to shoot it. But uh, no, you're, you're doing something really cool, stockpiling all these interviews. I'm doing the absolute opposite. It's like... You know, right. we, we did it yesterday. It's going up on Tuesday. And then we have the next. Yeah, I mean, we'll wiggle through it. And but also because of the design where we hook our podcast into the vidcast into live action, we want right. to be somewhat um, topical and or timely, you know, so that, you know, it's yes. not like, hey, Ted's in Serbia. And by the time someone sees it, the movie's already out. It doesn't make any sense. So Yeah. Our show's more of like a 
a more of a, like a deep dive retrospective on people's like more or less their body of right. work. So it's not as timely in that way because we start from sort of their first horror flick and go kind of to where they're at Got now. It. So it allows us, it allows us a bit of that sort of wiggle room. Cool. No, that's great. Well, good luck to all of us. Man. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these weird little format things when you're starting a podcast that you're like, I never thought of that or, you know, and it's, it's uh it can, it's, it's an interesting kind of medium right. That I find that was a lot of fun because when else like before the pandemic, like you're talking about, I had all these projects that were ready right. to go and we were going to be shooting in one in California, one in Vancouver, and then everything got benched. Right. So that's when I started developing the show because right. we could do it, you know, well, while it was going well, that's on. Cool. And actually, you um, know, I, in a similar way, I um, got very close to a wonderful uh, writer, a comedian, a guy named Adam Felber. So uh luckily as the pandemic started and even though we kept making some weird movies we slowed down we had to um harper collins approached me and through an agent we suddenly had a deal to for me to write a biography now i'm not i mean i can tell stories but i'm not a writer and they suggested sure. working with adam felber adam felber was head writer on the bill maher show for many years he has a podcast with um with Paula Poundstone that they've done for years, very successful podcast. Anyway, Adam, I spent a lot of time during the pandemic, uh, me telling my stories and the book came out well, late last year. It's called Confessions of a Puppet Master. But in that um, you know, relationship that developed, I, recently I said, okay, I think I've got to do this podcast, vidcast thing. So luckily I, I had Adam uh, as an advisor because he knows that world and a lot of the things that you're right. probably hearing or discovering he's he's been through that so it was very helpful to have someone who's yes. a, a pro and what's also nice is yeah. i'm not going to reveal anything yet because we're just literally day one with this thing but about a dozen people that i've called uh, well-known you know actors in some cases rock and rollers musicians people that were my who i would have loved to have part of this everyone has said yes yeah, so i haven't had a no yet and of course, the one person I wanted to have on the most to start this whole enterprise of this vidcast, of this uh, podcast was John Carpenter. And, you know, he doesn't do this stuff. He's really no, <laughs> at all. No. But he was couldn't have been sweeter. He said, Charlie, I, you, you actually gave me my first job, which I forgot exactly that that happened. And he said, I'd be happy <laughs> to do it. One day later, yesterday, he's here. That's great. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was writing a Western with George Romero not long before he passed uh, away. Uh, shout out to George Romero. And, uh, and George got me in touch with John and John read our script and called me up and we talked through it. And I was like, you know, it was such a neat thing. And, and cause John, like you said, like he doesn't really love to like, he wants to stay home and play video right, games and shit right, right now. That, you know, that's like, I don't blame him though. He's put in his time, I guess. On the other hand, I don't think you like to stay at home and play video games. Not either. for a minute. First, first, I don't play video games, <laughs> even though I started the world's first independent horror video game company. Lost my shirt because I was about two decades ahead of the time. <laughs> right. So, you know, I had my moment there. And, and actually, apropos that company, it was called Wizard Video Games. I licensed the right. This is 1980, back in the Atari days. Wow. And I licensed yeah. So it was like little stick people yeah, going little after. little stick people freaked out the buyers. <laughs> so what happened was I licensed the rights to... Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I had already released on video because my video company back in the day had those movies as you know VHS and Betamax releases. And I also, of course, had the rights to Halloween. So I went back to the owners of those movies uh, and got these video game rights, which they thought I was crazy. And it turned out I was in 1980. Spent time, money, 
found designers, developers, programmers, you know, everyone was saying, well, that's kind of weird because shouldn't you be making like cartoon and games for kids? I go, no, no, horror video games. It's the thing. So we put them together, yeah. spent the money. I, I think I replicated or whatever the word is back then, duplicated maybe 2,000 units each, brought them to the big consumer electronics show in Chicago. And I thought I was going to be instantly successful, wealthy, all the rest of it. And there wasn't a buyer that was interested. I mean, I had the guy from Sears saying, you know, you're really going down the wrong path. If you have something cute and fun for kids, but no one's going to buy a horror video game. You're completely wrong. It'll never happen. <laughs> and so, yeah, I literally closed up shop a month later and got rid of, sold cheap these video games. Now, of course, those that are still around, if you go on eBay and look for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Wizard video game. Where the fortune. dollars <laughs> $2,000. Should have kept a few hundred. But um, so yesterday when John came uh, as a gift, he didn't know this. I, I had a framed poster of the original Wizard video game poster that we made back in the day, which was nice. really cool. And I, I gave it to him because he does love video games. So that was a, a fun moment. Yeah, it was funny because I read your book and I listened to the audio, but I don't know if you can see like what your frame is, but I have your book kind of displayed yeah, I see, here. I see. <laughs> and then, I see. Can you I, see I it? I see okay. ghoulies, of course. Uh, you know, and, and, yeah, uh, and the, I've got all the rep. I've got every replica of the puppets is here. I don't know if you can I, see the I bookcase. Do. I see enough. But, That's great. Yeah, and as you can tell, yeah, I, even though this office has lots of full moon and empire art, my the outer office and the hallway, I'm surrounded by old classic horror, you know, mat and magician posters in my room. So I, there's no <laughs> yes. full moon art in my little bizarro room here. Strange, but true. <laughs> well, you've probably seen it all a lot and for a long time. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, reading the book was one of my favorite things about the book was some of your stories about getting to work with your dad and, and Albert was such a, an amazing director himself. Yeah. And I was curious what age you sort of realized, Hey, my dad's a really great director. And I should, <laughs> I should start picking his brain about what he does. Well, you know, it's weird. I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to have been pretty much born on a movie set. I mean, all my early memories when my, cause my dad would take us, me and my brother to his sets. Cause that's what he did. And uh, that was, you know, so much fun for me to be there and go there. And so, yeah, so I was exposed to all that stuff, you know, and back then it was, it was a whole different vibe. I mean, you know, even these were, these were not huge movies. I mean, they were substantial movies for the time, you know, movies shot in um, Sweden, uh, Face of Fire. And the one I remember probably as a little four, four or five year old was shot in the States was I Bury the Living with uh, Richard Boone and and then we went to Italy, and from there as home base, we shot, he shot, I shouldn't say we, he shot movies in Spain and Yugoslavia, spaghetti westerns and um, epics with Steve Reeves. And so as a little kid, I'm, I'm on the set. I, I, I loved all of this. It was bigger than life because truly, you know, today you can accomplish the same thing with six, seven guys and little cameras and very lightweight lights and but back then it was heavy lifting. I mean, you know, some of these lights took two guys, grips, cameras, Mitchells. This was all like big, heavy stuff shot on 35 millimeters. So everything was bigger than life. And the movies, they were, they were as well. You know, he recre recreated, um, you know, Son of Hercules. So you had, you know, pieces of temples and, and monsters. And so everything was big and huge and awesome. And I loved every minute of it. And when I was old enough to, you know, kind of say, hey, this is what I want to be part of. Then he had me apprentice and do a lot of the work. I mean, I didn't do every job because some of the jobs I, I was too young to do or were maybe too gross. Like 
you know, when 30 horses ride into town in the Western and they have to stop and someone gets off a horse and there's a little bit of dialogue, that's one of probably seven or eight takes because one horse went the wrong way. Maybe the actor flubbed his line. So those 30 horses ride out of town again. And of course, they all leave gifts on the fucking floor, like shits everywhere. <laughs> and one of the jobs on these yeah. Westerns was the guy who came and cleaned up the crap. So I didn't do that job. I was spared that. that. But there, I did a lot of work and I, I learned the craft that way. And um, yeah, just, you know, learning from my father, more than anything else, his temperament and how to deal with usually hot-headed people, because in Italy, there are a lot of those characters and less today because there was more drama back then. We're talking about the 60s. Uh, also with the actors, you know, a, a lot of drama. Today, again, less so, even though you hear stories about how actors behave or misbehave. So, yeah, I, I learned, you know, sort of all that, those producing skills. And of course, I, all I wanted to do is make my first horror movie. And by the time we got back to the States, I was 20. A few years later, I was able to do that. I had a really bad detour because I made the wrong movie. But putting aside the detour, which is a whole story <laughs> in unto itself, uh, I finally, at age 24, made my first horror movie. Which was Crash? No, it was Mansion of the Doomed. Or Mansion, Mansion of the Doomed, uh, and then Crash, yeah. right. Because yeah. what I did, I have to fess up here, and this is all in the book, and, and I talked about it with uh, with John Carpenter yesterday, because my first movie, technically, was a satire uh, uh, on The Last Tango in Paris. Now, that was a movie that starred Marlon Brando, and I was very friendly with a wonderful writer who completely derailed my plans of making my first horror movie. He said, no, forget the horror movie. You got to do a parody. It's called The Last Foxtrot in Burbank. You'll be funny. You'll get really good reviews. You'll make money. And then you can make your horror movie. And I don't know how he convinced me, but he did. Again, I was 22. So, you know, maybe I don't know what he did because <laughs> it's hard to believe that I agreed to that. And that was a total disaster. Uh, made no money. And I buried that movie. I ripped it out of my resume until recently and just kind of never talked about it again. So Mansion of the Doom is sort of my first official movie. But one cool thing about Foxtrot is uh, my editor was John Carpenter. So, uh, right. <laughs> so we, we had a lot to talk about. He actually said, hey, that was my first job, my first actual job in Hollywood. I didn't even know that. And I don't, I don't even know how or who connected me to him. I just know that for the few dollars he made, he was shooting Dark Star on weekends, you know, uh, on 16 millimeters. So. That's great. Um, it's funny, too, because I was, you know, reading the book and then like, you know, seeing the video zones over the year and stuff. I, you start to piece things together. But the book kind of helped me to plug things in in a sequential right. way. You know, like the, the founding of Empire coming in 83 after you'd done Crash right. and stuff like that. Tell me, like, it, it's you know, like you take a company like New Line Cinema, which is sort of known to a lot of people as the house that Freddie right. built. Do you think it's sort of safe to say that in a way, Empire in the beginning was sort of the house that Ghoulies built? <laughs> I guess it was, but uh, yes. But I'll, there's an anecdote or a, a, uh, there's a sidebar to this story, which is I made a movie, I made a, a 3D movie called Parasite with Demi Moore as her first film. And shortly thereafter, because it worked pretty well, I made it for a company called AFCO Embassy, and the fellow who ran the sh AFCO at the time, a guy named Robert Ramey, really nice guy. Anyway, Rob Ramey then moved to Universal, and I didn't even follow that, but I made, uh, I was very involved in the video business because I started the first direct-to-video uh, home video company back in the day called Media Home Entertainment, and we were licensing films. I licensed the whole library from Bob Shea, the whole New Line library. 
you know, from John Waters' weirdo movies to, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I was involved in that, but I was making movies. By then, I'd made maybe seven or eight films. And Parasite did well, so I thought it's time to make another uh, 3D movie. So I made a film um, called uh, Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. And I'm halfway sh through shooting this thing. And it was the biggest budget movie I'd made at the time. It was about $800,000, which is a lot of money. But it was a difficult movie. And lots of cameras, 35 millimeter, the, the 3D effect, a lot of light. Uh, you know, it was kind of a, a somewhat of a poor man's Mad Max. Um, anyway, in the middle of shooting the movie, whoa, it's Tim Thomerson and, and um, Richard Mull who credits me with his career, because there's a funny sidebar to that story, and Kelly Preston, Kelly Preston's first movie, the the, the, the wife, and so sad that she passed away recently, John Travolta's wife. Anyway, making this movie, this is how, this is part of why Empire started. Um, and I get a call, I and mean, this is back, you know, there's no cell phones. If you get a call, someone's got to find the production company, then find a number that's the on set number usually in a little production hut and then the guy's got to run the set say hey charlie there's a call for you and they knew unless it was an important call not to bother me because i'm there trying to direct this movie but it was it was bob ramey it was robert ramey who now is running universal and ramey goes um charlie i i hear you're making another 3d movie and we're about to release jaws 3d in 2000 screens it costs us a fortune to equip those screens, the silver screens, the special lenses. <clears throat> and if your movie's any good, I'd like to license it from you because we could put it in right after Jaws 3D because we got all the screens ready to go for 3D. So it's like, ching, yes, that sounds fantastic, but I'm in the middle of shooting this yeah. thing. He said, look, I, I need to know this right away. Put together a reel or two. I know your work. Get me a reel. Get me something to look at by Monday. This is like Friday. So again, this is not today with all the little quick, you push three buttons and you throw tape together. You know, this is like 35 millimeter mag, uh, sinking dailies up. So I had to kind of break it to the editor who was not happy. I said, you're going to give you some extra dough, whatever it takes. You can direct a movie one day. In the meantime, I need a promo reel. Give me 10 minutes, cobble together what we got. We went through it, sent the reel to Ramey on a Monday. And that next day, Tuesday, he called. Again, I was on set, had to run over to wherever it was through the sand quarry. He said, the movie plays great. I can see what you're doing. Uh, I can make you an offer for North America. How does $2.8 million sound? And after pretending to think about it for a moment, I said, absolutely, let's do it. <laughs> and that money, that sort of windfall, uh, along with, yes, the early success of Ghoulies is pretty much what funded, started uh, Empire. And so, you know, Empire had all these great movies and all this great stuff. But I think another thing about Ghoulies that's interesting, you know, and just stuff like Trancers and things went on to become part of the Full Moon stable. And But but Ghoulies also sort of is the beginning of your love of little creatures and little things that come to life right. and wreak havoc and stuff. What do you, can you, have you ever been able to sort of pinpoint why that started for you as a, as a template for the kind of horror movies you like to make? Sure. And, well, you know, God, it's, it's a complicated backstory, but... One of my closest friends at the time, starting with a Mansion of the Doom, was the amazing uh, Stan Winston. And Stan is another sweetest guy who passed away way before his time. Uh, I think he, at the end, before he passed, he had seven Academy Awards. I mean, Terminator and Jurassic Park. Yeah. And anyway, Stan and I go back to the Stone Age days. He was the effects guy on Mansion of the Doom. If you see it, it was also Lance Hendrickson's first movie. So if you wonder, that's pretty cool how they 
this crazy doctor plucked everyone's eyes out. They're all in that basement. They look, it looks pretty good. Well, that was Stan's magic. So at a certain point, Stan and I were talking about doing something that kind of then evolved differently as ghoulies because once again, Stan became super successful early on. The last show he did for me was Parasite, which he, he did, and he did the Parasite and came to set. Then he became, you know, Stan Winston, and I couldn't afford it, and we remained good friends. So we so we developed something which didn't work out, but I thought, yeah, the, you know, this idea of some of these little creature critter guys coming to life, and it kind of makes sense. But it wasn't just because we were working on something that was, you know, kind of similar. But I grew up, you know, I grew up in Italy, so... You know, people say I was culturally deprived because I didn't grow up in the States. No TV. You know, you, you cinema, yes, you could watch some weird Italian movies or Fellini and the occasional revival house. And then once in a blue moon, some American film would come through, always in Italian, some of the old Universal movies. But I fell in love with anything that had to do with inanimate objects coming to life, whether there were movies made in the 50s, you know, doll people and all that kind of stuff, or right. uh, uh, anything to do with stop motion animation. I mean, I was an insane fan, Ray Harryhausen, the seventh voyage of Sinbad, Jason and the Argonauts. And somehow the idea of these inanimate objects coming to life and small ones at that, because of some of the movies that I, I mean, even the movie like the fly, I mean, you know, Vincent price, these are just great films. So somehow it all made sense. Yeah. Let me, let me make this movie and we'll call it ghoulies. And that's when I met John Beekler who became also a, a good friend at a lot of our shows and also passed away to freaking young just a few years ago. And, uh, John w worked for, for Stan. Stan was the one who said, Hey, you gotta, uh, you know, meet uh, Beekler and he can be very helpful and he's very good and affordable and all the rest of it. So yeah, ghoulies happened, but by then, you know, I, what I love most about movies, you know, where these stop motion animation, and I shouldn't forget to say that prior to ghoulies, uh, I made a movie called Laser Blast and became very friendly with David Allen, who was a uh, a prote protege of, of Harryhausen. And Dave was just a magician, stop motion animation magician. And as a film goer in the 70s, any movie that had a stop motion animation shot in the trailer and the TV spot, I was there. Just, you know, sign me up. You just right. get two shots in a trailer. Oh, my God, we got to see this movie. And I finally kind of wiggled my way into Dave Allen's sphere. He was mainly doing commercials at the time. He invented the Pillsbury Doughboy animation character, which, of course, now is CGI. But back then it was Dave's animation. And Dave did the animation for Laser Blast, little alien guys who um, carelessly lose their gun, <laughs> their, their laser gun. Of course, the story is awesome. And then this poor kid who gets mistreated picks it up and gets revenge on all the bullies who treated him badly. Anyway, Dave and I became friendly. The great Roddy McDowell great shows Roddy, up Keenan Wynn, yeah, all that. Yeah. And there's, there's all sorts of side stories. You guys got to read the book because all these have side stories, how I went into sort of a nefarious business with Roddy McDowell and a fellow named Wally. <laughs> yeah, that was a great story. To, yeah. you know, anyway, that's too many sidebars here. But um, <laughs> then as we kind of got into the 80s, I thought, okay, I've got to make like the ultimate doll movie. And I had dolls as a project for years. And then I met Stuart and we did Reanimator. And then we were planning to do um, From Beyond in Italy, because by then I'd bought the ex Dino De Laurentiis Studios, which was amazing. And I thought, you know, Stuart, before we make From Beyond, since we'll be in Italy, how about doing a quickie, a real fast movie called Dolls? And I had the piece of art for years. And I said, Dave Allen, we'll do stop motion. We'll do this. We'll do that. And he got Dennis Paoli involved. And 
the little quickie became way more than a quickie because it was involved and complex. And we actually shot that um, at the studio in Italy just before From Beyond. And I still think it's probably my favorite movie with inanimate objects and dolls and puppets coming to life, even though, you know, since then there's a puppet masters, 12 of those and demonic toys and even kid-friendly movies like Prehysteria. So yeah, I guess little creatures, characters coming to life uh, is, is my thing. <laughs> Partially. <laughs> yeah. I share that affection. I love those. I love your th- creatures coming to life movies. Demonic Toys is one that I remember. I think I saw Demonic Toys before Puppet Master. This is way cooler than fucking Chucky. Um, <laughs> well, I'm really proud of some of the current stuff we're doing because, you know, you want to switch it up a bit and you can't keep remaking the same movie. So, you know, sure. I, I went to um, Billy Butler. He and I also go back to Ghoulies, okay? Billy's super talented guy. And I said, let's 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 do kind of a spinoff and let's do a movie about Baby Oopsie, one of the Demonic Toys characters. And... I think the way he took it, what he did with it, what we did with it, I should say, is super clever and super happy with it. And in our current world, the streaming did very, very well. And since then, we've shot four more sort of episodes or two more features, really, sequels to Baby Oopsie. So real happy with that. Kind of a different take on, I don't know if you've seen it, but if uh, if, if you have a chance, check it out because it uh, goes against the grain. The first thing is, all right, well, you make a movie about some doll terrorizing people. You got to, you got to cast the hot chick and the good looking dude, and and we went completely the opposite. We had some really unique right. characters in there that I think kind of steal the show. So we're doing a lot of that now. In a weird way, you know, we have twenty movies we're making. We are real happy with a bizarre film with Jim Wynorski we just released called Attack of the Fifty Foot Cam Girl, and it turned out we're making the sequel, of course, immediately because she's got to fight some other big. 50 foot evil chicks so and i just finished a movie with fred ray i figure you know why not go to the guys who've made all these forever for corman so we made a movie called piranha women sure. and um yeah we just you know yes there'll be another puppet master movie of that uh from that franchise called dr death which is really one of the characters in uh, retro puppet master so having fun with it but trying to put a different spin on these things and that was one of the reasons why I thought, all right, even though there's a a lot of people doing podcasts, let me do the podcast a little differently, but really as a place where at any given, at any week, you know, in two weeks from now, we're going to have three movies shooting, you know, and in five weeks from now, we'll have Ted and Serbia sending back, you know, kind of video diaries every week with the fifth subspecies movie. You will have two movies shooting in, in Cleveland and possibly a show shooting right here. So, you know, it's kind of a place where aside from a celebrity type guest, or someone I've you know done business with for years, we can also show visually what we're doing, kind of like an augmented vidcast, so people can check it out. So again, whenever anyone is interested in hearing or listening or watching any of this, it's called, and I, I called it Freak Show because that's kind of what we're doing. I mean, if you really think <laughs> of it, if this was 150 years ago, this would be a traveling sideshow. I'd be the, I'd be, I guess the Barker, the guy saying, "Hey, step right up. We got the tattooed woman, the dwarfs over here, and you know, get your fortune told." I mean, which you, which you kind of did with your road show. I did a, it with the road back, show, right? but I, that was, that would, that's what Full Moon yeah. would be if it was, you know, 150 years ago. So that's why I'm <laughs> right. calling it Charles Band's Full Moon Freak Shows, and that's the name of the podcast. I want to throw a little, I want a quick little game before I let you go here. I'm just going to throw a couple things at you. So this is. 
We, we kind of play a little game with every guest that comes okay. on the show, and we switch it up depending on who the guest okay. is. So for you, the game I developed was I'm calling it Full Moon versus Full oh, Moon. Sure. Now, you did Dollman versus Demonic Toys, which was taking two great characters from your series, from your franchises, and put them together. So I've mixed and matched a few other Full Moon characters. I'm going to throw it at you. You tell me if you think it would work, and if it doesn't, why not? Or if it does, why it, why it might work, okay? All right, here All we right. go. Radu, Radu versus the Wolfman from Meridian. Wow, um, that would work. It has the same organic vibe. It's it's gothic. That would actually work. It'd be a little weird. There has to be a chicken there somewhere. You know, you can't forget that hot chicks need to be in these movies, and you need to have boobies. I'm sorry. I don't know. That's a retro thing to say, but as kids growing up watching <laughs> these shows, the great vampire movies did have some nudity within a certain amount of good taste, but. Yeah, so somehow I think Radu and the and the and the uh... oh, and by the way, as an aside, <laughs> I, sh I should say this because it's true. Um, yeah, I really like Meridian. I thought Cheryl and Fenn did a, a, a great job. I think it's I love the atmosphere of Meridian. I know, it's such a I different know, and, and movie. I wanted to make, I, yeah, I wanted to make right. more of those. That's another story because the fellow who was a big champion of mine at Paramount was Brandon Tartikoff, and we were going to do a whole Harlequin romance thing. We were rocking with, this is beyond the, the direct video business, which Paramount distributed. And just as things were getting really hot, he was fired, <laughs> which happens. He, he I think oh, he had shit. the shortest, <laughs> yeah. shortest tenure of any president ever at Paramount. I think he was at Paramount as president one year, which is you barely, you know, get your feet wet. Anyway, um, but a funny story, you know, the great, great effects man, Greg Cannon, uh, worked for me in the yeah. early days and Greg did the, the suit for Meridian. And he told me this on the DL, but it's been so many years, I don't think he would care anymore. He had just finished Coppola's Dracula, and he said, look, in your budget, Charlie, you'll never be able to afford a full, beautifully put together, hairy bodysuit for your Wolfman character. But I think I can just steal the one we made for Coppola and just <laughs> kind of change the head a little bit and just don't tell anybody. anybody. But if you if you go to if you watch um, Coppola's Dracula, which I love, flaws and all, I love that I, movie. I love it There's too. There's that scene outside the house where the the, the, the werewolfy looking creature kind of bangs the girl, right? That's the Meridian yeah. costume. Well, you know, and Dr Bram Stoker's the Coppola one has this wonderful kind of artifice to it that Meridian has too, and there's there's a similarity in kind of uh, tone between those. Yeah. Two so yeah. Right? So I would say that would be kind of interesting. I'll never make it, but Radu versus. Uh, that character, the Meridian, you know, man. Yeah, it could be a comic book, maybe. maybe. Okay, Dom uh, Demonic Toys versus Killjoy. <laughs> that would also work. You know, it's, it's kind of edgy and bizarre, and Demonic Toys are, you got Foul Mouth Baby Oopsie, and Killjoy is, uh, I think that would work too. That's a good, I mean, so far these are good ideas. All right, Red Eye versus Jack Death. Red Eye from Oblivion. Oh. Mm, eh, not really, but, but. Thomerson always joked around that we, what we should make is Dollman versus Jack Death. That way he can kick his, uh, he <laughs> yeah. said, that way I can kick my own ass. I feel like he would be really good at that, sort of that Bruce Campbell slapsticky yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. All right, and the last one, the head of the family clan, that uh -huh. was the whole group of them, versus the hideous goobers. Well, you're right on the money because aside from the fact that I love those two movies and, and we have the same writer wrote them, fantastic writer, and of course, the head of the family, the fellow who uh, played the head, is a guy named Michael Citroniti, and he is the lead of Hideous. So you 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 have two movies that are organically very connected. 
also in the writing and sort of going against type. And uh, so I don't know about that, but we are definitely making, I mean, it, it's a tricky movie to make on the, our budgets now. And it also involves a lot of my time, which I don't have a lot of, but you know, we have a great script for Bride of the Head of the Family. And, you know, and boy, there's some fantastic scenes in there. So I'm really hoping if not later this year, next year, I'll, I'll get to make that one. All right, the last question I've got for you is, what's the status of Primevals? Boy, oh boy, that's a whole book. You know, where that started, uh, how it got uh, delayed, the, the issues with shooting the movie. This is, uh, it still is, uh, our most expensive movie. It was 12-week shoot, which is like six times what we usually do. We shot it in the Italian uh, Alps, the Dolomites. We shot it, some of it, at the studio, in our studio, my studio at the time in Romania. Uh, outside of Bucharest. It was about 250 stop motion animation shots planned. It was going to take two years after we shot this thing and spent all the money for David Allen to do those shots. And about 160, 70 shots into that two-year program, poor Dave died of cancer. And that timed out with around the same time where Full Moon's fortunes really turned for the worse. So we literally packed up all the stuff, all the sets, all the, uh, the, the puppets and Put, put them away for a, a better day. And that better day came about three years ago as our fortunes turned and streaming kind of brought us back to life. Uh, and Chris Endicott, who's been a friend for many years, uh, was D Dave Allen's right arm guy. Chris was willing to devote a lot of time to kind of resurrect the project, find people who could continue doing the work. You know, it's a lost art form. You can't find stop motion animators, you know, like, you know, uh, easily. But we have now literally uh, finished the last few shots last month. To actually say that the movie is a lock is sort of amazing because I can't even believe I'm saying it, but lock meaning all that's left to do is the music, which my brother's doing and very excited about, and uh, some color correction and the mix. So we're, there, there's nothing stopping us now. It's not like, oh my God, there's a big hole we have to fill or we got to wait for this, that, and the other. So we don't want to rush post-production, but by September, October, the movie will be done. Exactly how and where it's going to get released uh, depends. We're not really sure. It's It won't be just a streaming release. We want to do some, a uh, little bit of a theatrical thing. We were, we're trying to figure out what to do. It's such a unique project. I mean, it's it's a movie that I, I think is every bit as good as some of Ray Harryhausen's work. Um, and it's, it's retro. I mean, it's a movie that will be released in 2022 that feels like it was made in 1978. You know, it's right. got that... Vibe. Yeah. It's a beautiful story that's timeless. Um, it doesn't tie to any particular time, so you wouldn't know what, what, what year it was. It takes place in third world countries in the Himalayas. Um, it's beautifully written. The acting's wonderful. And the stop motion is just absolutely breathtaking. But it is, because of the style, because it is a stop motion animation film, it is retro. It is, you know, it's not CGI and it's not Doctor Strange. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting that that will be later this year and it'll be, we'll make it as much of a big deal as we can. How much of the stop motion had David Allen completed before he passed away? About 160, 170 of maybe 240 shots. And then we completed maybe another 40 shots over the last three years. So what we're doing, I mean, I'll give you this quickly because it sounds complicated. It really isn't. What I wanted to do and Chris wanted to do was preserve Dave Allen's cut and his version of the movie, but we didn't want to spend another two years and money that doesn't exist sh re sh or shooting every last missing stop motion animation shot. We just couldn't afford it. 
Um, so what we decided to do was we would finish, let's just say, the slightly shorter commercial version, a version that could be showed to anyone, not missing anything. But when we release this thing on Blu-ray, it'll be a box set. So you'll have the commercial version, which will be a little shorter than what Dave Allen wanted. Then you'll have Dave Allen's version, and that will have maybe 30, 40 missing stop-motion animation shots. We have uh, live-action storyboards. So, for instance, there's a great scene where they that doesn't exist in the commercial version where they are on this river and they're attacked by a dinosaur of sorts, so a lizard creature. And that scene, which doesn't exist in the commercial version, you can see how Dave wanted to do it, intercut with the live action, because we shot all the live action, and then you have these storyboards in there that will, that will show kind of what Dave had in mind. And he did all the storyboards himself. Luckily, we were able to do so many of the shots that the version that, that we will release that won't be the box set sort of Dave Allen version is pretty damn close. It's probably 90% of every stop motion animation shot. So you'll be able to see that version and then a slightly longer version, maybe by five minutes, with shots that really just the main scene that, Dave, that we were not able to finish that Dave would have wanted. So it's, it's kind of historically cool, but I'm really proud of the movie. And the fact that we shot this thing like almost 30 years ago, and Dave started talking to me about it. When I first met Dave, and I convinced him to do the Aliens for Laser Blast, that was 1977, 78. That's when he presented me with the Primevals, the script and storyboards. And he said, Charlie, I'll do Laser Blast for you, and I'll work for you. And I, I love what you're doing. But one day you got to promise to fund Primevals. <laughs> and of course, being whatever I was at the time, probably said, of course, we'll do it for sure. One day, one day, <laughs> one day. So decades yeah. later, after he did the work for Dolls and, and of course, Laser Blast and uh, all the Puppet Master movies, all the stop motion in the 90s, mid-90s maybe, roughly mid to late 90s, I forget the exact year, things were going well enough for Full Moon and Dave for the umpteenth time said, Charlie, is it time to do Primevals? Can we afford, can you afford to make it? And I said, the time has come. And, you know, at least I lived up to that big-ass promise. And we yeah. shot the movie. So the movie really goes back to the early 70s. I think there's a cover, there is a cover story in Cinema Fantastique, a, a magazine that was really cool at the time. It was a cover story about Day Balance, the Primevals, and that has got to be close to uh, 50 years ago. Wow, geez. That's really great, though, to, to, you know, for David and for the fans to finally get to see it, because I'm sure everybody kind of was like, it's probably lost or... Not lost, but it's, it's a talk about a labor of love, you know, yeah. There, there will never be, I mean, so much money has been spent that will never come back. But some things you have to do just because you love the medium or, or, or in this case, you know, I had such respect for Dave. And I thought, you know, it's not even a lost leader. It's just a historical piece that um, that I, I, the fans will really like. And, you know, hopefully that the goodwill is out there. But, yeah, it's um, I would advise if you anyone's thinking about doing a big stop motion animation feature today not a good idea unless someone unless, unless you win a lottery and you got all sorts of money think what can i do with this money and not make any money then do the stop motion movie <laughs> well charlie i i have to tell you I, I, as a fan of your work like and 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 all the other fans that i know a lot of them are filmmakers now themselves who grew up on the full moon movies and the video zones you're infectious 
like approach to making movies and you're like diehard, get it done, get it made, keep going. I got to tell you, I love you for it. Keep doing it. Uh, we'll all keep watching and checking out the stuff. I'm going to be listening to your podcast. I hope a little while from now you'll come back on the show and update us with how things are going. I will. I'll be happy to. And we can, uh, you know, do podcast dialogue too. I'll be probably good at this in a month. I did my first podcast yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, I go, oh, okay, I kind of get it. But um, no, we'll stay in touch. This is a, all this is a work uh, in progress, right? What we're doing. And yeah. um, what's interesting, now, the final note is how, how things do change, but they really don't change. At the end of the day, you're creating 70, 80, 90 minutes or two hours sometimes of entertainment. And everything's kind of the same. The medium's change. That's all. I mean, you know, otherwise you, you want to pull people into your fun story and, and entertain them and that that's that's you know you still need a good script and you got to hire actors and you got to shoot in the best way possible and it's, that's the same thing. I started in thirty five millimeter and that morphed to Betamax and VHS and that went to DVD and now we're in the streaming world. And what's interesting is our yeah. success now is is subscribers really. You know how many people are subscribing to the site and yeah it's now it's also changing a bit to this uh, AVOD deal like Tubi where in that case you get a little sliver of the advertising dollars because Tubi's free but someone who wants to watch Puppet Master on Tubi's got to sit through commercials whereas if they sign up on Amazon to our site then they you know uh, they have to pay $6.99 a month you know so that, it yeah. all keeps changing but at the end of the day it's still you know you want to hopefully make a good clever you know unique movie and I think it's cool too to think of you know you guys are still putting out Blu-rays and DVDs yeah. for like guys like me who are still the physical yeah. media collectors, yeah. and it's nice that people have options now. Yeah. So if you are a streaming guy, you can do stream. If you want to buy the Blu-ray, that's available. Like it's and it's nice to be able to go back in that catalog of all your great films and check them out, and they're all in one place if you want. Yeah. To. Like my last question for you is like, do you do you love streaming now? Have you kind of embraced it? Does do you think it's a format that you you're enjoying? Yeah, I, I like it a lot. You know, I mean, as a business person who's survived kind of so far ish bad times good times you've read the book you know that it was ups and some some bummer downs but um yeah i mean for the, the best model for an independent was the direct-to-video business because that was you know you shipped so many copies of your movie on vhs or dvd there was an invoice you got paid for the invoice you didn't have to align yourself necessarily to you know a netflix or whatever that would be at the time and, and that was better for an independent filmmaker, especially if you didn't have clouds or a library, you just made a movie. I mean, all these great movies that people loved that were made in the early, until, whatever, the early 80s through the 90s, you know, th these movies would not have been made today because there's no real return. Yes, you can drop a script yeah. and go to Netflix and then you have 600 cooks and they'll probably turn out to be not what you wanted. But, you know... Friday the 13th and Halloween and all these movies back in the day were made because of the direct-to-video business because it made sense if you spent two, 300000 on a movie, you could make a little profit if you made the right movie in that market. It was not complicated. Sadly, yeah. those days are gone, and I'm not sure what's going to replace it, but things do change. Um, so as a business person, I, I, would, I like the video days because it was – it was easier to navigate and, and, um, streaming's different, you know, streaming is and more lucrative. I think it was more yeah. lucrative. Yeah. Now you can do other things with yeah. streaming. I mean, you know, today, um, we can finish a movie on a Thursday and literally have it up on a Friday on streaming. You know, we can do that. 
Directed video was another animal. You had to finish the movie. You went to the replicator. You had to replicate all the units. You had to ship the units to a warehouse. That had to go to, you know, let's say to Blockbuster. It was weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before those movies landed on the video store shelves. But I also told someone recently, I said, but, you know, in a way, I'm as horrible as the pandemic was, I'm at least happy selfishly that we were in the streaming world. Because if we were yeah. rocking right now in the direct-to-video world, nobody would see these movies. Blockbuster would be closed. Hollywood Video would have been closed. No, none of the video That's stores true. would have been I never open. thought of that. We'd be sitting yeah. there with a warehouse yeah. full of the warehouse would be closed. So <laughs> the medium would not allow yeah. us, if it was a pandemic back in those days, to get movies out. Whereas with streaming, luckily for us, we were able to still release movies. And even though we made fewer, hard to make a movie during the pandemic. And, you know, whatever we put up there and we, you know, we, it was there the next day and people sat at home with their mask on or not, you know, they watched the movies. Well, I can't wait to see, you know, what you guys have coming up next. Thanks, Charlie. You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane and produced by Cindy McLean. Production engineering provided by Jaden Bozon. Puppet Master theme, Ghoulies theme, and Video Zone theme generously provided by the maestro, Richard Band. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Original artwork generously provided by Matthew Terrian. Our supervising producer is Jason Hill. For exclusive bonus content, giveaways, and contests, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash Spill Your Guts. All one word. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by our supporters and listeners like you. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of Kevin's conversations with some of horror culture's titans of terror, as well as the many hours of bonus content, consider subscribing to our channel. But that's not the only way you can support what we do. If you like what you hear, and you want more, get the word out to your friends, your family, random people on the street, retail cashiers, unattended babies, the hot guy you work with, on-duty members of law enforcement, anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for the guts and gore of horror. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.